and for coming early this evening and being a part of our recap for our Laodicea study. I hope that you were able to, to take part in those small groups and enjoyed studying the Bible and discussing those verses yourselves. You know, when we think about GYC, when I think about GYC, I think a lot about how GYC began with a, a movement of young people passionate about studying the Bible. And if I could just make a little bit of a confession here, um, I'm one of the old people around GYC now. I, have, uh, I had the opportunity to be at the first GYC at Pine Springs Ranch in 2002. I was one of the speakers there. I was trying to remember today. I think I gave a sermon on how to, how to plan mission trips for, for young people and how to uh, maybe give Bible studies or something like that. Um, but in 19 years that have gone by, um, there's been a lot of GYCs. There's been a lot of change in the world around us. Um, there's, been, there's been a lot of, I guess you might say, a lot of, of change even within GYC and the Adventist Church. A lot of things have happened in our world. One thing is very, very much the same still, though, and that is that we still look forward to Jesus coming soon. And the, it, it, my heart is a little bit heavy when I consider the fact that 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 group of young people who in 2002 said, we want Jesus to come in our generation, almost 20 years on, it's really that mantle is falling on a new generation. There's a, a, there's a new group of young people who need to become passionate the same way that that group of young people was to, to continue the work of the great Advent movement and to take the three angels' messages to the whole world. Whether or not Jesus has come, the, the reality is, the reality is that your generation is the only generation that can reach the world during your generation. And so this is a, a tremendous responsibility and a great privilege to be able to be a part of a, a movement of young people with a purpose, a purpose to take the three angels' messages to the world in our generation. Well, this, we're going to do just a bit of a review this evening from the things that we have talked about this morning as well as the things that you studied in your uh, discussion groups. And I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, today we are grateful for the Sabbath. We're thankful that we have the privilege on this Friday night of reflecting on 2021, thanking you and praising you for your goodness. Thank you and praising you for your grace, and also looking forward to a new year beginning, as this is a high Sabbath, the, the beginning of a new year and, and the, the last day of GYC. We just want to commit our hearts and our lives to you. I want to pray for each person here, each person that's still on their way to this auditorium, each person that's listening online or watching this video in the future. Lord, I want to pray that they might be blessed by the study of your word, that they might be inspired and challenged as they consider the white raiment that you have offered for them. We thank you and we ask for your presence in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
This morning we talked about how salvation can really be simplified, at least the knowledge essential for salvation can be simplified to two pieces of information. I, I, I realize that some might feel this is a bit of reductionism. I'm not saying that's all you'll ever know. God will continue to teach you. But in order to, to, to have that saving relationship with Jesus, you really only need to know two things. The first, you need to know who you are. And second, you need to know who God is. We talked this morning about how the Laodicean message is, is designed by God to give us those two pieces of information, who we are, which we focused on mostly this morning, and who God is, which we'll be foking, focusing on a little bit more this evening. I, I, I think some people might ask, well, just because I know I'm a sinner, just because I know I'm lost, just because I know I, I have nothing in myself that can commend myself to God, that I can't earn my salvation, just because I know who I am and I know now that God is loved, does that necessarily mean that I'm going to choose to be saved? The answer is no, because knowledge never, never surpasses or never eclipses our freedom of choice, right? Um, we're not saved by knowledge. We, uh, we, salvation still requires a choice because in, in a paradigm where God is love, which I believe to be the truth, He cannot coerce or force Himself even to force salvation or eternal life on anyone. It has to be a volitional act of the person entering into relationship with God in order to be a loving relationship. And yet, Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 22, to know God is to what? Is to love Him. To know God is to love Him. So, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think it's an inspired limb here. And I'm going to say that if you truly catch a glimpse of who you are, if you know who you are, and you actually understand who God is, if you understand something about the character of God, you are going to be drawn to Him. To know God is to love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because we see His character revealed in His Word, in His providences, in His actions and involvement in our lives. So turn with me in your Bibles now to the Laodicean message. We're going to spend just a few minutes to look in Revelation chapter 3 at the, at the message to the Laodiceans and what we can see very briefly. We don't have time to unpack or expound on any of these things, but I want us to look very briefly at a number of attributes of God which, is, which are found in the Laodicean message. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to begin about at verse 15. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. When you're there, can you say amen? We've already talked about the characteristics in, or I haven't, but, uh, but, the, uh, but Justin yesterday talked about the true witness. Verse 15 says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. The first thing that we see about Jesus, the true witness, in this passage is that he knows all about us. He knows all about us. Now, why would that be important? Well, it's important because not only does God know all about us, but He still loves us. You see, as, as Callie was talking about yesterday morning, she was talking about how 
You know, you never know if someone really cares about you if there's something that you don't, haven't revealed that, that they don't know about you that might change how they feel. The good news about God is He knows all about us and He still loves us. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, the Laodicean message, defines God as a God of love. Look with me down at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, those whom I what? I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. In other words, this straight testimony that he's bringing to us that we are hopelessly lost and we think everything's fine, which is the worst, most dangerous condition a human being can be in regarding their salvation. This this message is a message that's coming from a heart of love. God knows everything about me and he still loves me unconditionally, completely and unconditionally. So Jesus knows all about me. He knows all about you, and yet he loves us still. Skip with me back two, two times here in, in this message. I find another attribute of God, verse 18, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Now, we often take our eyes and we place them right on the gold refined in the fire, and we understand what that means. But have you ever thought much about that phrase that precedes the gold tried in the fire? What does Jesus say? He says, I do what? What does he say? I counsel you. This reveals something about the character of God, the God who knows you completely, intimately, everything about you, and the God who loves you the same, the God who knows everything, who is always right, who knows the end from the beginning. He could be the type that said, you know, you should do this. You have to do this. It's the only sensible thing to do. But God comes to us and he says, I counsel you. What does that tell us about the character of God? Look at me down in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and, what does it say? And knock. We're not talking about knocking with a battering ram. We're not talking about knocking with, you know, explosives or a big kick. It's a respectful knock from the person who knows all about you loves you still, counsels you to make a decision, and then knocks respectfully at the door of your heart. What this tells me about God, Jesus not only knows all about us, He not only loves us still, He respects our freedom of choice. You know, one time I was um, preaching a series um, somewhere in the former Soviet Union, I don't remember exactly, in Russia, I believe, and um, I, I remember um, there were a lot of, there were a lot of um, questions that people would put in a question box. It was sort of a tall stage like this, and um, every night the auditorium would be packed, and we actually had an afternoon program, and then the same thing later in the evening, and, and people would just come down. We'd get like 200 questions a day during the meeting. They'd just be coming down putting questions. I remember one question that was put in that, in that question box asked this. Why do you come here and force us to believe what you believe? Now, at first I thought that was somewhat humorous because, you know, what am I, an American in Russia, going to do to force anyone to believe what I believe? 
It almost seems like a nonsensical question. Until I realized the culture and the mindset and the thinking of 70 years under communism and how it affected their minds and the way they processed. And in their mind, in their mind, if an authority figure said something was true, you had no choice but to believe it and agree with it. Because if you didn't, you'd be sent off to Siberia to some labor camp or some factory city and you'd spend the rest of your life in, in isolation from your family, away from anybody you knew, just because you challenged the idea of the authority figure. In fact, it is true, at that time it was true, that in Siberia, the average IQ was higher than the rest of Russia. Because a lot of very intelligent people had spoken up, and they'd paid the price by being banished. And so that, that thinking of, of being coerced to agree with thoughts of of authority figures was now being transposed from governments to God. I mean, God, if He's real, if He's really all-powerful, He's the ultimate authority figure, right? We have to agree with Him or else we're going to be squashed. I want you to know, friend of mine tonight, that's not the God we serve. And when I realized what was happening in the minds of those questioners, young people asking these questions, I realized this was one of the questions I wanted to answer. And this is what I told that audience. I said, God is not like other authority figures you may be familiar with. They force you to agree with them. In contrast... God is committed to your freedom. And I further explained, when Adam and Eve sinned, humanity was left with no choice. Our one destiny was eternal death. In order for God to provide us a choice in the matter, a choice in the matter. God said, I'm going to give my only begotten Son to go and to die in their place, not so they will not have any choice but to accept His love, but so they will have the ability to choose to either accept Him or reject Him. The greatest symbol of liberty in the world is not this lady in the New York Harbor. The greatest symbol of liberty in all of human history, in all of the universe's history, is a cross on Calvary's mountain where the Redeemer of the world, the Creator of the world, the God of the universe said, I am going to stretch my hands and I will give my life a ransom, an atonement, so that Chester, when he is born, will be able to have a choice between death and life. And that God of love who is so committed to choice and freedom that he would die to give it to you and me, 
He is not going to be angry and punish us because we reject him. No, that's not his character of love at all. His character is not one of, of, of some sort of a vindictive nature that if we reject his salvation, that he's going to make it hard for us. No, if, if we reject so great a salvation, the death that we experience, the hopeless, peaceless death that we experience, the second death, will be simply what we deserve, not because God is trying to make it hard and punish us for not accepting him. It's because the wages of sin is death, and we've chosen that path. You see, my friends, God cannot be love and also a God of coercion. And the, the, the message of the Laodiceans, it has Jesus counseling, Jesus knocking, because God respects your freedom of choice. Listen, this is not a God that you're coerced to serve, young people. If you don't want to serve Him, He'll love you throughout all of eternity, forever. It won't change His love for you. There'll be an emptiness in His heart for all of eternity. It's your choice. He's not putting the screws on you. He's not trying to coerce you. He's not trying to force you. He offers it. He politely knocks, and He says, if you'll have me in, We'll have a wonderful eternity together. That's the kind of God you can love. That's the kind of God you want to serve. That's the kind of God you want to become a doulos, a, a slave to, because He is a God who respects your freedom. Jesus respects our freedom. If we continue on here in verse 18, He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may close yourself from and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see i want you to know that as destitute as laodicea is this passage tells me that jesus jesus what he offers is enough for all of our problems is that good news the God who loves you, who knows all about you, who respects your freedom of choice and died that you might have it. He is sufficient for our needs. We see here in verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is relational. It's not just a theory. It's not just a theology or a doctrine. Christianity is a personal relationship with the man who became, the God who became man and is now at the right hand of the throne of God and sends His Spirit to be with us, it is a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And He says, I want to sit down with you and eat with you. I'll break bread with you. We can talk. We can relax. You know, some people say God can't be that personal. There's millions of us. I like to illustrate this with the following illustration. I think eternity is going to be a long time. In fact, it's going to be so long, in my imagination at least, you can tell me if you agree with me or not, it's going to be so long that Jesus will be able to come to you personally. He'll know your name, maybe your new name, whichever one he uses. He'll come to you and he'll say, hey friend, we, 
We need to spend some time together. I'm talking about in the new earth, right? Eternity. Beyond just a meal now and then, let's just take some time. What do you want to do? Have you ever wanted to maybe travel to some off galaxy or explore how science works or learn about this or, uh, you know, whatever it is? What do you want? And, and, and so you'll have this opportunity with Jesus, who is still our older brother, who's, who is one of us. You'll have this opportunity. I'll have this opportunity. And, and eternity is long enough. Just, just capture this in your mind. Eternity is long enough that he can go and he can say, well, that's been a thousand years. That went by fast. Just you and me, a thousand years. Let's go for a million. A million years with just you and Jesus. Eternity is long enough that he can do that with every single one of us, every single one of the saved. And when he's finished going through a million years, or two if we're really having a good time, when he's going, finished going through a million years with every single one of the redeemed, and he's finished, there will be just as much time left as when we started. You think our God isn't a personal God? Oh, He cares about every single one of us. Jesus is relational, and we see that in Revelation 3, verse 20. And by the way, um, this appeals to every generation, but it should especially appeal to the current generation. Jesus wants to raise us next to him. I want you to read, we'll, we'll finish here in Revelation 3, verse 21, as we look at this, the characteristics of Jesus here in the Laodicean message. Revelation 3, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I'll have a confession to make. I used to read this, and I always thought that's talking about what happens after the second coming. I mean, after all, the throne isn't something we can sit on now. It's in heaven. It's in the throne room of the universe. We can't go there. So this has to be talking about the new earth. But then you stop and you consider for just a moment, friend. Just think about it. I, I'm not trying to, to teach a new doctrine or idea. I just want you to think about this. Is this a literal expression or a figurative expression? Are we actually all going to sit down literally, physically in the throne with, with, his, with Jesus? Probably not. Maybe we could have turns. Maybe his throne's that big, but I don't. I, I think it's probably a figurative expression. And what, is, what, this, what this expression says to me is that Jesus is not power hungry. He's not one who keeps the blessings of his access to God to himself. He's saying, I, if you'll overcome, I will sit down with, you can sit down with me in my throne just as I sit down with the Father in his throne. In other words, we're going to be almost peers. The older brother of our race is going to be right there with us and he's going to share that access to power. And then I started thinking, what do I need power for in the new earth? What I need power is, when I need power is right now. I need power to live the Christian life. Do you? And I sort of wonder if Jesus isn't here inviting us even now to partake with him, to sit down with him and access, have access to 
the power of the throne of the universe. We need that kind of access. We need that kind of power. We talked this morning about how perfection is the requirement for heaven, and it's too late for us to attain it. But Jesus offers an exchange, our weakness for His strength, our filthy rags for His perfect robe, our guilt for His peace, our sins He exchanges for our, His righteousness, our eternal death for His eternal life. What an exchange. What a good deal. That's a no-brainer. This is what we sometimes refer to as justification. And in your Bible study this morning, if I could just summarize real quickly what you talked about in your small groups, justification is indeed exchanging our best, the best that we can do, our best efforts, our best behavior, our righteousness, which all are filthy rags, fig leaves, to receive the white raiment of Christ's perfect righteousness. The second thing I hope that you gathered from your study this morning was that justification is never experienced apart from repentance. Repentance is sorrow for sin and turning away from it. This is why the argument about justification versus sanctification is not a sensible argument. Because genuine justification, which includes a sorrow for sin and turning away from it, naturally leads to sanctification, a life trusting in Jesus to make you righteous as He has declared you righteous. Justification and sanctification are inseparable, just like Siamese twins who can't be divided. You can't have one without the other. What about that buying? Revelation 3 advises, I counsel you to buy the gold, the white raiment, the eye salve. How does that fit with the idea that salvation, justification is by grace, not through works? How do we buy if we don't, if, we, if it's only a free gift? We buy white garments, Christ's righteousness, by the yielding of our filthy rags, through the right action of our will, through choosing to surrender to Christ and accept Him as our Savior, through cooperating with Him through repentance and heart searching. But even this buying, as it's referred to in Revelation 3, is in referred to in, in, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, it says, buy without money and without price. In other words, none of it is done on our own power or in our own strength, but through the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, we don't take any credit for any of it because God is working to do His good pleasure in our lives. You see, it's all about Jesus. Before you were born, Jesus knew you. Dying on the cross Jesus carried your sins, friend of mine, suffered your penalty, a peaceless, hopeless death where he could not see through the portals of the tomb. Before you realized it, before you knew it, and maybe when you didn't even want it, Jesus through the Holy Spirit has been working on your life, in your heart, drawing you to himself. John 12, 32 says, and I, if I be lifted up to the earth, will draw all to me like some great magnetic gravitational field, Jesus is drawing everyone towards Him. Whether you know it or like it or want it, 
Jesus has been working in your life and in your heart. And now, Jesus, your intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary during the antitypical day of atonement, your judge, is offering an incredible exchange of his righteousness for your fig leaves and filthy rags. If you let him, with the strength and power he's given you, he'll give you genuine repentance, sorrow for sin, and turning away from it. He'll clothe you in his perfect white garments, perfect righteousness, and declare you perfect and eligible for eternal life in a sinless universe where you can even now begin enjoying the peace that passes all understanding, the perfect peace, freedom from guilt, freedom from recriminations. And He'll even do more. Jesus will change your heart and from the inside out sanctify your character from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This won't be in your own power but His. You'll need His grace every step of the way. But if you trust Him and not yourself, if you keep choosing Him, cooperating with Him, there is no way possible that you can be lost. The only way Listen to me carefully, young people. The only way a person who has given their life to Jesus can be lost is if they choose to stop giving their life to Jesus. No other person, no angel or power, nor things present or things above, nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Only that freedom of choice, which we've already said, God respects because He loves you. Why? It's all because of Jesus. From the beginning to the end, our hope is in Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. Our hope of knowing ourselves it's in Jesus, the true witness. Our hope of justification, it's in Jesus who gave us, who made a perfect righteousness for us. Our hope of sanctification, it's in Jesus who by His grace will walk beside us and we abide in Him. Our hope for power to live the Christian life is in Jesus who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and the Holy Spirit He's sent in His stead. Our hope for the resurrection, it's in Jesus. Our hope for glorification, it's in Jesus. When I realize that there is no hope there is no hope for Chester Clark to be saved or even to better himself on my own when I realize how wide is the gap between my own record and heaven's requirements, when I shrink in shame for the sins of my past, the mistakes I've made, the hurt I've caused my Savior and others, when I give up hope of saving myself and realize that if I am going to be saved at all, it will require an absolutely undeserved miracle of divine grace. Then it is that we realize that there is only one answer, there is only one hope. That answer, that hope, is Jesus. And Jesus, my friend, is enough. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen short, my Jesus, your Jesus, is more than able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by Him. In 1776, the 
songwriter, Augustus, um, trying to remember the last name, he's an Englishman. He wrote the hymn, which is really a prayer. And after everything we've learned about the Laodicean message and the white raiment, I think it's a fitting prayer for us tonight. The words of the prayer go something like this. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Rock of Ages. A name for Jesus. Rock of Ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Friend of mine tonight, the message of the Laodiceans is not just about a theology or a doctrine of your church. It's about your eternal destiny. It's about a God of love who has made a perfect salvation available to you, who offers to wrap you in His righteousness to hide you in the rock, to cover you, to wash you, to forgive you, to save you. He will save you when you realize that's the only way you're going to be saved. Would you like to have that prayer that Augusta wrote, Augusta Augustus wrote, would you like to have that be your prayer this evening? Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's what Laodicea needs. Laodicea needs the righteousness only God can give. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we thank you. We thank you for that rock of ages, for Jesus, who is the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who gives us hope in a world where apart from him there is none. Thank you that the message of the Laodiceans offers a picture of that Jesus that Jesus who knows all about us and loves us still, that Jesus who is committed to our freedom of choice and who, who counsels respectfully and, and knocks courteously. Thank you for that message of the latest scenes which shows that Jesus 
invites us to share in the power of the throne of the universe. Thank you for the message of the latest scenes which shows us that no matter how destitute, poor, miserable, wretched, and naked we are and blind, that the the antidotes, the remedies that Jesus has are sufficient for even Laodicea's condition. And Lord, tonight I just want to thank you that we can come to you tonight and have the assurance that as we give our heart to you, as we say, yes, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to cover my sins. I want you to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. And I want to follow that God of love wherever he leads me. Lord, we can have the assurance that we're wrapped in his robe of perfect righteousness and God sees us as if we've never sinned. Help us to have that assurance tonight. Not to wait till tomorrow, not to wait till another day, but right now in the quietness of this auditorium to just say, yes, Lord. You're the Savior of the world. Be my Savior. Lord, tonight we pray that the message of the latest scenes might shake us from our complacency, might arouse us to a new walk with you, and that we might experience the gold tried by fire, the white raiment, the eye salve we'll hear more about tomorrow. And the very soon, Father, we'll be at the last GYC, and then we'll be able to be at the, the best gathering ever on the sea of glass. We want that. We long for that. We pray for that. Most of all, we ask that we might experience that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC Conference Nothing in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.